as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's another discussion in new findings of things that might actually help you lose some weight. Joining us on News Talk 710 KURV, a personal trainer and healthy living expert, Junior Wakefield joins us. The talk about breaking the fast or breakfast in the morning. Uh, you do it, you don't do it to help weight loss. What, what's the what's the latest on that? Well, you know, years, years ago, I've been in this business for for about 30 years, and years ago, everyone worked a nine to five, they had breakfast, you had lunch, you did a little workout before you got home, and then that was kind of the norm was everybody being active. Well, that's not the norm anymore. So the norm today is, is you have some people working at home, you have some people you know, with different times that they work out. So the normal breakfast that was, that was good back then is not good today. And it, it, there was a study done that you know, whether you eat a big breakfast in the mornings and then you eat small meals throughout the day, and or you eat small meals in the morning and then at dinner you had a big dinner. Well, you know, they found out that really there wasn't any big weight loss change. It was just more of the how your hunger was. And so one of the things that I've always thought about was is do it old school, which is eat things that you want to eat, but eat it in moderation. Stay active. Work out if you can and work out or, or, or be active and get some rest, drink a lot of water, and stay away from stress. And that seems to be the thing now. But the problem is is we can't get all of those things together, such as stress, such as moderation and water, such as working and, and being active. So we have to do something what we figure is best for ourselves. And my, my suggestion is, is, hey, you don't have to finish your plates like we used to back in the days. Now you just eat in moderation, you satisfy yourself, you work out, and then, you know, you lose weight. So breakfast isn't the biggest thing that it, the way it used to be. There has been a lot of talk recently. I don't know if it's a fad or if there's variations of it, but uh, intermittent fasting has become kind of big again in, in some circles. Uh, what do you have to say about that? My, my philosophy, and, and again, to me, I think fasting is a fad. Because you eat 12 hours and then you're off 12 hours. Well, my philosophy is, is, hey, when your body's asking you for something, when your body's craving you for something, you give it to it. And so I'm not saying go out, hey, I want a chocolate shake or I want a big old piece of pie or stuff like that. What I'm saying is your body's saying, hey, I need something to keep this, keep this body going. So you give it to them. You know, you don't have to finish your plates like we used to back in the days. You don't have to... Uh, to, 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 to just fill your plates with all different types of this and that and so forth, eat in moderation. I believe if you eat in moderation, if you stay active, if you hydrate yourself, if you get enough rest and you stay away from stress, I think you're going to achieve your goals. 
I mean, the older you get, the tough it, tough it is to be able to, to take care of your body. So you have to stay focused on taking care of your body, and you have to give it what it needs. Uh, Junior Wakefield is a personal trainer and healthy living expert joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. Yeah, it's it's the meme that's kind of been going around where, you know, if I eat like a, a steak and a salad, that's fine. But if I eat a hamburger and it's got all the food groups in it, that's not that's not the same thing. What do you recommend people eat? Here's here's my thing is you can eat what you want. Again, it, it eats in moderation. You know, you can't put one food group over the next because we don't know what the person's circumstances are. We don't know if they're able, you know, whether they can do a steak and salad or different things like that. It's being able to, to, to take care of yourself and not go outside, not go too far outside your comfort zone. When I say go outside the comfort zone, hey, I love steak, I love salad, I love potato, but I can't, my body doesn't digest it like it used to back when I was in my 20s. And so now it's like, hey, I'm going to satisfy myself. I'm going to get the things that I enjoy. I'm just not going to overdo it. Speaking of overdoing it, I'll give you I'll give you some personal info here. I, I've recently been experimenting with a one meal a day diet, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that has kind of it, it, it's a double edged sword because it's like I'm not overeating unless it's that one meal for the day, <laughs> and then it's uh-huh. like I'm not eating uh-huh. for 23 hours ahead of time. Um, what, what do you think about um, that that concept? One well, meal a day. You know that one meal a day. I mean, it's according to how you feel. Does it give you the energy? Does it give you the strength? Does it give you the motivation? And here's another thing: Can you do it for a lifetime? Are you just going to be able to do it to to get to the uh, body weight or to the the uh, the body that you want, and then go back to regular? I mean, because what is regular? We don't know what regular is because. The lifestyles and life have changed. I, you know, if that's something that works for you, then great. It may not work for everybody, but it's can you maintain that lifestyle to achieve your personal goals and, and and stay with it? And I think that's one of those things that's tough. It's tough for myself because what I do is I I I have to eat things that's easy to digest, things that's got to give me when I say give me energy, not really give me energy, but the things that I I do that I feel comfortable with to help me to keep my lifestyle, my body weight, my body structure the way that I want, and I continue to keep going with that. And it's whatever works for everybody else. You know, the one meal for me is kind of tough because I, my body is going to be like, hey, uh, what are you doing? Hey, what's going on? And to me, a lot of times, when I get to it, I get bloated. I, you know, if I miss meals or if I, I get out of my routine, it gets tough. And so that's why, you know, I, I do three, three or four meals, nothing heavy things that I like to make. I don't try to do fast food. I don't try to do processed stuff. I just, I like to cook myself and prepare myself for each meal. Hey, thanks a lot for the info. Personal trainer and healthy living expert, Junior Wakefield, joining us on News Talk 710-KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. 
stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Here's Zoom from the Quorum Report for an update of Texas politics. What's going on around the state, Scott? Let's start with the, let's actually, let's start with the governor's race first off. What's sure. going on there? Well, it's uh, pretty fascinating to see all these polls that are starting to be leaked to us at quorumreport.com. I was just looking uh, at some information about uh, an internal poll from Governor Abbott's campaign. I might've mentioned this on the show previously. Uh, you, you know, Davis, that Abbott, Greg Abbott has so much money in the bank that he has mm-hmm. six, six internal polls at any one time. There's six, wow. six companies that are doing polling and those cost tens of thousands of dollars each, you know? And so uh, he has the most robust polling operation of anybody. And I'm told that uh, in Fort Worth, in Tarrant County, uh, Abbott's internal poll shows that he is losing to Beto there uh, by four points, which would not be a huge shock. But look, when you start to see some of these bigger counties moving toward the Democrats, and we see this in suburban counties and the big metros, of course, uh, it's concerning. But as you know, Davis, historically, uh, Tarrant County has been the largest Republican county uh, in Texas yeah. and one of the largest Republic, one of the largest Republican counties uh, in the country. And then we also had an interesting story up uh, just a little while ago at quorumreport.com. Uh, people can check it out about an internal poll that was done for the county judges race uh, in Fort Bend. And, you know, when they do these polls, they also ask about the larger political environment and ask, yeah. you know, ask voters about ask voters about other races. And this should really be concerning to Governor Abbott uh, in Fort Bend, which another huge county, uh, you know, is one of the rapidly growing suburban counties. When a thousand people move to Texas every day, they're moving to places like that, right? They're going to Fort Bend, they're going to Denton yeah. County and Collin County, Hayes and Williamson counties. Um, Greg Abbott, his net favorability, according to this poll in Fort Bend and the Sugarland area, is negative fourteen. Good lord! <laughs> it's, and it's, it's it's amazing, right? So. And Beto's number Beto's was it number was it was it the was, weed? I'm sorry, was it the was it no. the news over the weekend that Abbott wasn't going to be pardoning anybody? Uh, oh well, I mean, uh, it's I think it's abortion. Uh, if you look at this poll, uh, even a decent number, I think around 11 to 12 percent of Republican voters in Fort Bend County do not agree with the kind of abortion policies we now have in Texas, which don't include, of course, any exceptions for rape or incest for the for the ban on abortion. Uh, and of course, Republicans have not really had a good answer for that, and Abbott has certainly not had good answers for that. Uh, you know, over the last year, remember he said he was going to eliminate all rape in Texas. Uh, Ten years. Uh, right. They, they it, lack. Also, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and, and and also said that women who get raped can just take the plan, the Plan B pill, you know, the, the next day, uh, which I think demonstrates a lack of understanding about how that even works. And then during the debate, uh, he said that uh, if a woman gets raped, uh, the state will make sure that she has baby supplies. These are just not good answers uh, on this. Uh, and look, I, I think uh, you know the fact that uh, you could have uh, Abbott doing that poorly in a highly populous part of the state, which four years ago, Davis. He and his Democratic opponent were tied in Fort Bend County. Abbott barely won that county by less than a percentage point. So I would say they were basically tied. So we're seeing these large urban and suburban areas Mm -hmm. moving away from Republicans uh, in real time. 
Uh, and the issues are pretty, pretty straightforward. It's the ones that y'all talk about all the time here. It's the, it's the abortion issue. It's the gun issue in the wake of Uvalde and a few other things as well. Now, I was told on the uh, Tarrant County number, uh, the, the, Fort, the, uh, the uh, Fort Worth number, uh, the fact is that uh, there were some Republicans pushing back on that and saying, no, no, we're going to win in uh, Tarrant County. But it was my understanding uh, that over the weekend or in the last few days uh, that some top Republicans uh, in the state had been calling and trying to get uh, you know the local Republican Party to do more work. Uh, in Fort in Fort Worth to try to get what? You know, the local candidates there, the district attorney candidate uh, and some others who are running and the county judge candidate in Fort Worth. Uh, basically, they were being asked by state leadership to get on the stick it, that y'all need to do better in places like Fort You're Worth. kidding me. You know, we've talked we've talked about. No, you, you know, I don't even have a sense of humor, Davis. You know that. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the fact is, uh, he's mostly right. You know, I, I think about we've, it. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot about republicans working to flip uh you know uh, legislative seats down in the valley uh and of course uh, you know doing better with uh you know latinos in the valley and specifically in the four counties there um but if you pull back and look at the chessboard what that's really all about uh is not just trying to flip those legislative seats but also trying to boost overall republican numbers for the mm -hmm. entire statewide uh you know total that they'll come up with because look republicans are just losing ground in the suburbs uh that was true you know before this year and in the past few cycles, that's been true. We saw Beto winning some of those, uh, some of those counties, and also, uh, you know, Fort Bend uh, was was uh, won by Hillary Clinton when she was running in 2016. It's kind of gone back and forth there a little bit, but now it seems to be squarely in the you know in the corner of the Democrats. So it's a shifting environment. You still have to uh, handicap it for the Republicans, of course, because this is Texas, and I would expect you know if I had to guess today uh, that Abbott would win by you know at least five or six points over Beto, something like that. Of course, some, there's some polling that shows that it's a double-digit race. I don't really believe that right now, uh, but it's a very different environment from what we saw six months ago. And one other thing that was in that Fort Bend poll is interesting. We we kind of had the understanding, I think, you know, the, the, chattering, uh, the chattering class, the talking heads, we kind of thought earlier in the year that uh, the Republicans really had the uh, advantage as far as having their base be motivated to get out and vote. Uh, but in that Fort Bend poll, and again, never read too much in one poll, but this is interesting. Um, there was no partisan difference when it came to motivation that Democrats and Republicans were equally fired up to go vote. Wow. The, um, interesting. Hold on, Davis, uh, we're joined by Scott Braddock from the Quorum Report, our guest on your 95645. So it's all hands on deck. And mm -hmm. if there is a... The, the the Republican win not only needs to be a win, but it needs to be a resounding win, especially mm -hmm. with all the changes. So everybody who's anybody, if you have an R next to your name, you really need to come out and start stumping oh. for everybody is, what's, is basically what's going down. Mm -hmm. But let's move on from the governor's race mm -hmm. over to, we had a question about uh, I, the lieutenant governor's race, Davey. Well, the lieutenant governor, the uh, county judge in Tarrant County, who's a Republican, although he's attacked as being essentially a Democrat, is embracing and endorsing the Democrat, a guy named Collier, mm -hmm. running for lieutenant yeah. governor. Lieutenant sure. governor himself must smell something in the wind because about two weeks ago, Scott reported that he told the senators what to do in, in case he, he goes down with the ship. Um, so is Tarrant County trending or is it just, and the Republicans there, oh, I don't know, two, three years ago, got mm -hmm. to, they uh, tried to unseat some guy, some physician who was a Muslim. He had a party position. They tried to yeah. unseat him because right. he was Muslim. But he came to the country and he's a Republican and I want to kick him out. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. 
Yeah. So if I remember right, if I remember the story right, he was a respected physician as well uh, in the area. And and look, um, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think it's the fact that the Republican Party in Tarrant County specifically, but also across Texas more more broadly, uh, has moved, I think objectively, just has moved more to the right, uh, of course, and you know, Republicans are concerned about winning their primaries. Although you, you do wonder on some level why Governor Abbott, and you asked about Patrick, but why Governor Abbott had moved so far to the right when he was able to defeat three guys in his primary with almost 70%. You know, why does he have to go that far right? Maybe he would have won with 60% instead. Uh, but in the lieutenant governor's race, I think it is interesting that you do see um, some of these Republican office holders coming out for the Democrat uh, in the race and only in that race, not in any other races except for one, which is we did see some former uh, state Supreme Court justices come out yeah. and, uh, and endorse a Democrat running for ag commissioner against Sid Miller. Which is weird that they would not, of all the, of all the races to get involved in, for these guys to get involved in, they endorse the Democrat. I, I don't understand that. I so it anyway. was all hands on deck, but not in that way. Well, <laughs> That's not what um, we meant when we said that. Uh, how's the uh, attorney general's race going? You know, it's interesting. Uh, there was uh, there, there has been polling on that that shows that uh, of all of the races uh, statewide, that the attorney general's race with Ken Paxton, the incumbent uh, versus Rochelle Garza, uh, who's from Danielle's neck of the woods, um, yep. that she maybe has the best shot at it. And she was on WFAA television uh, in Dallas, I think th- this past weekend, where she was asked about the polls. And I thought that the journalist was, who was talking to her, you know, hit, hit the right note. He hit the right point, which is that even though it shows a closer race, the polls still show that people don't know who she is. What that means is that there's a huge anti-Paxton vote, and it, it, that people are upset yeah. with him. And any and and you know any movement toward the Democrat there is probably just an anti-Paxton vote. And I do think that there are some Republicans. Not I don't know what their number is, but there are some Republicans who are open to either voting for the Democrat in that race because they're very unhappy with all of his personal legal problems, the fact that he's joined at the hip with former President Trump, uh, a few other things. They would either maybe vote for the Democrat or just not vote at all in that race which might cause problems for them. Last question, Davis. We don't have a lot of time. The, uh, is there any kind of polling or understanding on, on abortion? You have the Supreme court decision state of Texas passed a law saying, Mm -hmm. except in the case of the life of the mother. Yeah. There's no way to finesse that if you're a candidate and you think that's the right decision that that's mm-hmm. the right point of view. There's no way you can mm-hmm. fiddle fart around that. It, would they be better off if they just confronted head on as opposed to weasel? Well, there is certainly no movement in the Republican Party among any of the uh, elected office holders, except for one uh, state senator from East Texas who came out and said he would be willing to look at you know adding yeah. uh, exceptions for rape and incest. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick did take a little little bit different tack on that in an interview recently where he said look the next legislative session that we have is going to be the first one after roe versus wade was overturned so he said there would be a robust discussion about that point uh but he didn't say that he was going to adopt a different position but he is he he is he is trying to talk about it a little different way and and nothing on nothing on weed then too either right well i'll say this we should have we should have mentioned this uh the agriculture commissioner uh candidate susan hayes who those republicans are, are supporting the democrat she's running on a platform of trying to legalize marijuana in texas uh which i think is pretty fascinating to see republicans come out for for a candidate who's in favor of that yeah sid miller wanted uh at the very least medical marijuana at the yeah, very least was that. on that 
Well, and he moved on that. There was a time when he said he that walked he it wasn't back? for that. Well, no. Well, remember, he didn't walk that back. But what he did do, Zach, what was interesting was you, you remember we uh, had the law to uh, to make hemp legal that that yeah. change was made uh, but as it was you know starting to go into effect and you know commissioner miller of course oversees that as the agriculture commissioner he put out a statement that basically said don't get all excited potheads that doesn't mean that we're going to be excited to, and moving forward with legal marijuana but uh, instead he later came out and said hey maybe we should at least look at medical marijuana uh, and that was after he was being pushed on the issue by his democratic opponent yeah Exactly. Hey, Scott, thanks a lot for stopping Thank by. You, Scott. That's Scott Bragg from the Corn Report joining us on News Talk 710KURV. This is the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a in this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Interesting topic. Davey had to sell me on this in a little bit. He's like, hey, you want to talk about ticks? And I'm like, well, what, what, what about the ticks? Uh, there's apparently a lot of disease going around in Juarez, and the the spike was big enough that it got on Davis's radar. And well, fif- so, fifteen people died, uh, according to one news account. Fifteen people in Juarez died of tick-borne diseases, and I think it was ninety-one. I don't remember ninety-one. Uh, ninety-one people were. Uh, infected by tick-borne diseases. And that just struck me as if it were uh, 90, 91, uh, 15 people uh, having anencephalic babies or whatever the Zika, whatever Zika did to infants in utero, we go, whoa, what's so, um, and I'm just, I don't want to get Lyme disease. It's um, right. Yeah. And what, what David Letterman would call a blood and gore deadly tick. Yes. Told anecdotally once on his show one time. Did he really? Expert, we, yeah, we have an expert on uh, ticks with us here today. <laughs> Professor of biology, chair of the institutional an, or uh, of institutional animal care and use committee, the director, UTRGV Center for Vector Borne Disease. I'm reading everything off of your email uh, uh, signature, by the way, Dr. Vitek. Dr. Christopher Vitek joins us on your 956 we've, Drive Home. Davis Rankin, you had the first question. Go ahead. We, we've dubbed him the tick expert. The um, and if you think I'm full of baloney, that that's fine. Uh, but uh, 15, 15 people in what is dying of tick-borne disease for 15 people in Reynosa. Is this um, is this as remarkable as I you think this is remarkable as I do? Or is this just like status, you know, same old, same old? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on here. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, and thank you for that great introduction, by the way. It makes me sound pretty important. <laughs> Mr. So, Tick. We'll uh, call you Mr. Tick. <laughs> so 15 people, I mean, that, that, that is a pretty high number. Um, I was actually just talking the other day to a colleague of mine up at El Paso. 
Um, and he was saying he they've been tracking this pretty closely. Um, they haven't seen the, any uh, comparable number of cases over in the uh, U.S. side in El Paso. Yeah. But yeah. certainly it's something to be a concern about that they're, they're focusing on. Well, when, when Zika was around or I suppose any kind of mosquito born, because mosquitoes don't recognize the border. I'm assuming that they could go back and forth with their mosquitoes, with their deadly uh, whatever. But um, is this uh, do you, is this something to be concerned about? Obviously, it's up the river, but you know it can come down the river too. Yeah. So, so the good news is ticks don't travel as much as mosquitoes, as, as you would guess. Uh, mosquitoes can fly. Ticks okay. Are primarily when they move around. It's when they're on a person or on an animal, and that animal then travels around. But certainly, I I mean, it's something to keep an eye on. It's something that we want to be uh, aware of. Uh, It would probably take a lot more for the whole outbreak to sort of move down here, but it is something that we want to be keeping an eye on. Our guest is Dr. Christopher Vitek, uh, Professor of Biology, UTRGV Center for Vector-Borne Diseases, our guest on your 956 drive home. And wouldn't that be a scary thought if ticks had wings and they could fly? (laughs) That that, that was, I don't know why that thought came to me. uh, A lot more more interesting, potentially. (laughs) But does it it matter, like the the species of tick? Like what is it about the tick? They come in Mm -hmm. all shapes and sizes. Davis was talking about some ticks are like the head of a pin. You know, what, what, yeah. what is it about ticks yeah, so, that make them such good disease carriers so and parasites? A, a, you, we do have a few different species of ticks down here that I've collected and, and uh, done some work with. Um, there's sort of four or five uh, species that we really need to worry about. So, uh, the size of the tick, they're pretty uh, constant as an adult stage, but they actually go through two immature stages referred to as a larval stage and a nymph stage. The nymph stage you can probably still make out if it's crawling on you. It's uh, it's still pretty small though. But that larval stage, it still can feed on you, and that's about the. If you sort of take out a printed sheet of paper, they're about the size of a period at the end of a sentence. Mm-hmm. I was kneeling in grass uh, northeast of Raymondville, where my in-laws had property, and I got. These is like chigger bites, except they weren't chigger bites. And at first I couldn't see anything. And then after about a day, a little bitty black speck appeared in the, I guess, the wound. And uh, we had to pick them out. Um, what are, are there any deadly diseases or uh, really bad diseases which are endemic in the ticks you all have found here in South Texas? So the good news, you mentioned Lyme disease earlier. Lyme disease is actually very uncommon down here in Texas. Uh, we do, in theory, have the tick. I've actually never collected it that's able to transmit Lyme disease. However, there are some other diseases that we potentially need to worry about, things like Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, ehrlichiosis, and so forth. Both can be transmitted in the ticks down here. And in terms of Rocky Mountain spotted fever, it can also be found in dogs that potentially are acting as a reservoir host. And it's thought uh, that this might be one reason why we're seeing so many cases over in Juarez, because they have a lot of stray dogs and, uh, and feral dogs around. Okay. My father was in the hospital once and they, I mean, years ago, and he said he th- they didn't know whether he had Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh, they treated him with some, I don't know what he had. They gave him an antibiotic and he was fine. Zach? Yeah, that's, Our, the, that's uh, the sort of, I would say the nice thing about uh, 
things like Rocky Mountain spotted fever and Lyme disease, they're bacterial diseases, so antibiotics, if they're caught early, should, should really work and help uh, any patients. Our, our guest is Dr. Christopher Vitek. He's a professor of biology at UTRGV Center for Vector-Borne Diseases. Our guest on your 956 Drive Home. And how, how, how do you safely remove a tick? There are a lot of like old wives' tales out there on, on remedies and, and things like that. But what, what is a, a safe way to do it? And if a tick is diseased, how long, until you, how long do you have until you find out? So the, the easiest and the safest way to remove a tick is with a really sort of needle-nose uh, tweezers. Um, you, if you see the tick on you, you can use tweezers to sort of try and grab it as close as you can to where it's actually in, uh, embedded in the skin and yeah. gently pull it out. What you want to avoid doing is jerking or pulling it quickly because its mouth is actually embedded in your skin and you run the risk of sort of breaking that mouth, those mouth parts off and leaving them in your skin. It, that's not a huge concern. If that does happen, you just sort of want to keep an eye on and see if it gets infected or not. In terms of diseases, uh, usually if you find a tick, my guess is that you would sort of start to show symptoms if it was infected anywhere from one to two weeks afterwards. So if you do notice a tick on you, and then about a week or two afterwards, you start feeling things like a headache, a malaise, uh, having fe a fever, muscle aches, fatigue, that's when you'd probably want to go to the doctor and when you see the doctor mention that you found a tick on you a couple of weeks ago. Do they, does the ticks transmit typhus readily down here? Um, no, for typhus down here, we really have to think about fleas. And so we do yeah. have a concern. Uh, there is a locally acquired uh, flea-borne typhus down here. And so that is something that we need to be aware of, but it's not usually with ticks. So Lyme disease is not here. Because I've read somewhere that the thinking now, and this was about five years ago, thinking now is that Lyme disease came from here and went up northeast because we read a lot about it being in like Connecticut and places like that. But uh, apparently that was wrong, which is good. Um, yeah, so, yeah yo, no, that, that, I mean, it's very good that Lyme disease is not down here. Over the past uh, eight to ten years or so here in South Texas, we've probably had less than four or five uh, cases of locally acquired Lyme disease. So it's not impossible, but it's just very unlikely to get that. And compared to somewhere like, as you mentioned, up in Connecticut, where approximately half of the ticks at various stages are infected with Lyme disease. So that's actually Gross. not an uncommon thing up there. Hey, that uh, disease, I, think, I don't know if I read about this or if this was like a troll headline or what, but... Um, is there a disease transmitted by tick that can make somebody allergic to meat? <laughs> yeah, there actually is. It's called yeah. alpha-gal syndrome. And what it does is it, it, the tick bite basically triggers an immune response in your body that then responds to uh, a variety of meat products. And, and from that point on, you're not really going to be able to eat uh, any sort of meat products. See, Zach's on an all-meat diet. Seriously. <laughs> he's, not, uh, he's not lying. Um, I don't know if I can do without my bacon, so. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, and brother. And there's, and there's no cure for this? <laughs> there's no treatment? Not, uh, not as far as I'm aware. Um, I haven't read anything recently, but I'm sure people are working on it. <laughs> well, why isn't there a cure? What have you guys been doing? Jeez, it's a threat. Um, hey, oh, man. I am, I I am never going outside again. Job, so. <laughs> 
Well, well, I, well I, you've scared me enough to where I don't want to. I don't want to ever leave my apartment ever again. Thank you, um, Davis. Last question before we go. Well, this is self-referential. And I apologize to the listeners, but what we do when we're going to go out in the brush is we wear some sort of boot. Doesn't have to be fancy. Uh, pants outside. Spray everything with cutters down there. Uh, maybe up the leg a little bit. If you're going to be going through trees, maybe you'd put it on your arms. But the legs and boots are are critical. And then you examine yourself when you get back. Um, but you you know you, the ticks announce themselves. It's not like they're going to lurk and you're not going to know about it. Does that sound adequate, or should we yeah. be doing something else? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's exactly what you want to do. You want to make sure to use uh, some sort of repellent or bug spray like tick, uh, like cutter or uh, off or something along those lines. Yeah. If you want to be really careful, you can then actually uh, tuck your pants into your boots and put uh, uh. masking tape around them so they, the ticks can't crawl in there. But uh. the big thing is then once you come out back from an area where there might where there probably were some ticks or you might have gotten one on you, is to really have a good once-over, look, look over yourself, have your friend's or your uh, family member look on your back and through your scalp and everything like that. Yep. And see, and just to make sure there are no ticks on you. All right. Well, and, um, and after that description, I think that I might have some ticks creeping around I'm, me. Just, and, just the feeling of it. And I'm like not going to go over and check him out either. So uh, <laughs> you're on your own. Hey, but no, but this is some really good, useful, and valuable information. We appreciate your time spending Thank you. spending it here with us to to talk about this. That's Dr. Christopher Vitek who is a professor of biology over at the UTRGV Center for Vector-Borne Diseases. Our guest on News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. <laughs> there were some uh, uh, leaked emails yeah. showing that Mexico's military may have sold grenades to the cartels. That's a big deal. Davis Rankin was able to track somebody down to talk about this. Go ahead and introduce him, Davey. Yeah, we talked uh, a number of times with... Uh, with our next guest when she was teaching at the University of Texas Brownsville, then University of Texas RGV. And now she is a full professor, just full professor at James Mason University in Virginia, uh, Guadalupe Cab Correa Cabrera, if I can get that right, is, is kind of an expert on uh, cartels, border stuff. Um, so welcome. Uh, d does um, this is th this leak, which produced this, this story about, uh, and they have pictures of army guys selling stuff to a, a mm -hmm. cartel, a, a criminal group. Uh, this was from 2019. So right. is, you think this is uh, the one, one and only time this ever happened? How extensive do you believe this sort of thing is? And is it going on now? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, it's always sure. 
to to talk with with the people that I used to work with. So thank you. Uh, with regards to these leak emails and these uh, Serena leaks or Wakamaya leaks, has has you know they call mm-hmm. this group of hackers. Uh, the the number of communications it's enormous. Um, and at the same time, we don't really know what the context of the leak is, what, is, what are these reports, and how we can evaluate it. We don't really know from this information how extended this practice is, or maybe it has to do with some investigations regarding, um, you know, one member or two members of the armed forces. But the way that it is presented in Vice News, I mean, it's, it, it gives the, the idea that this is kind of like Mexico's military. And we need to see, yeah. I mean, it, we, we need to understand that it might be one member, two members, some members of Mexico's military, but that does not say anything about the whole institution. You also have, for example, border patrol agents that are corrupt and uh, that are linked with, uh, with uh, migrant yeah. smugglers or even drug traffickers. So that does not uh, put the whole institution, um, you know, mm-hmm. under the, uh, I mean, on, under the eye of, of, or, or as, you know, we are, we are really classifying uh, the sure. corruption or the, the, the help that these members of the military gave to tell supposedly selling, you know, some grenades, not many, but some of them, and yeah. also offered tactical equipment ammunition, and supposedly information about uh, rival gang members and government officials. We don't know to what extent this happened, where, how. I mean, we don't really know the details, but but definitely that does not, I mean, this leak cannot be, you know, extended to qualify or to assess uh, Mexico's military. This is very important because some people are just alleging that just because they saw a leak, what if this is an information or it's an ongoing investigation about mm-hmm. some corrupt members of the, of the military forces? That's something we cannot, um, I mean, we don't know and, and we cannot generalize or assess. Yeah. Um, the whole thing based on a leak. And we don't know what the quality of the leak is either. So we need to be careful. We're talking with Guadalupe Correa Cabrera. She teaches now at George Mason University in in Arlington, Virginia. Before that, she was at the University of Texas RGV. And uh, congratulations to uh, Madam you. Professor because she is now a full professor. Thank uh, you. Which, it's, it's, it's great. Thank it's you a, for it's that. a job for life, right, Professor? So, um, <laughs> um, do 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 um, wait, one of the one of the questions that has to come up is where do the cartels, the bad guys, get all this weaponry that we hear about or read about? Sometimes, and actually, very if I can add on to that, where do they get these IT guys from? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, this is a good question because, uh, for example, this email, I mean, you would say that they are linked with the uh, the police forces or the armed forces. But in reality, it's so easy to buy arms from the United States, particularly from the state of Texas, you oh, know, because professor. of the laws in the state of Texas, because of the cost transportation costs also, you know, have a lot to do with this. Yeah. I mean, everybody can buy a very large amount of weapons and just give it 
to somebody else from a different country, and there's no track about these arms mm. sales. We know about that in 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 the United States. Texas is one of the states with least um, I mean with least um, limitations to buy arms. So most of these arms are bought in the United States. Of course, arms come from many parts of the world. I mean, of course, the arm producing uh, countries, but mm. the United States is better because it's easier, it's cheaper because of transportation costs. So most of the arms. I mean, are bought in the legal market and they are given to the cartels. This is, we have, hmm. I mean, you know, based on the cost and the risks and all that, it's better to buy it from whoever instead of buying it from a law enforcement agent, right? It happens. That's why yeah. this leak, you know, it just shows, um, I mean, it was very, it was very general. And they say that 70 hand grenades. One military member, it says, on May 31st, a military member offered 70 grenades to an operator of a criminal organization at 26,000 pesos each, roughly $1,300, the mm -hmm. documents show. But that's nothing. You know, it's one guy. I mean, it's, 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 it's normal also in the United States that members of law enforcement agencies, even of the military, are corrupt, and they are helping smugglers, human smugglers, or... Uh, drug traffickers. That's not something that's just in Mexico. And we cannot, from this information, we cannot assess the extent of these becoming like a more general practice or that this is kind of like, you know, yeah. very normal in, yeah. in the military. We don't really know from this leak, you know? Can, can I just mention that it, it, on the tail end of this Vice.com article that we're talking about where these leaked emails show Mexico's military sold grenades to the cartels, at the tail end of the article, uh, AMLO says the only thing important from the data breach was the information revealing that he suffers from angina. Oh, no, 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 no. I will tell you. I will tell you. This article is really badly written. I'm sorry. I have to tell you because this is kind of like a way to, um, you know, to put um, a, a lot of, um, you know, attention on the military, first of all. Where, I mean, and AMLO said days before this leak, um, you know, was public, this one in particular, because in the beginning, the first, um, the leaks, the first leaks were advertised by a platform called Latinos and they were announced by uh, a spokesperson, a journalist that is a big of the opposition to Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's administration. And he talked about, I mean, one of the highlights of that conversation of that, of those leaks was the one that talked about, um, talked about, um, of the president. He suffered a heart attack, oh. we know that, and he's being in supervision, right? You know, he goes to the to the to the doctor frequently to check him up. But that was nothing uh very serious. This what this article does, which is why it is tricky, and, and this article tried to mix these two things, it's like, yes, the president say that and said that in the beginning, because that was the information that leaked at that time. Uh, I mean, the information that had a lot to do with the president's health. And, and of <laughs> course, other, other things that we already knew. But we have to verify this. I mean, and the, what we know is that the president is extremely active. He wakes up very early in the morning to start yeah. his mañaneras, you know, these press 
um, yeah. conference that he gives a daily. So he made fun of this in one of the mañaneras. But that does not mean that he was putting this down. I mean, he he basically yeah. rejected the fact that this was going to be a big deal. And more and more leaks are appearing. But this, is, I mean, but this coverage was kind of like also, you know, um, written or this story was written in a way that, oh, no, yeah. look, this is a leak that is very complicated. And it, it's very, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's very worrisome that members yeah. of the armed forces are selling grenades to the cartels. But at the same time, the president neglects that and just minimizes that, that, that fact. Well, he minimized the leaks. But, you know, it was not put in that context. The context well, was put by if, the media. If I were person, if I were the president of Mexico and the cartels were running things, basically, I would have heart problems, too. That's <laughs> that's kind of what I can draw from this. Well, hey, thanks a lot thank for your you time and, and the analysis that you gave us. That's a lot of good information. Appreciate it. Guadalupe Correa Cabrera joining us on News Talk 710 KURB. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURB.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.